0: Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Seary. First of all, thanks for tuning in. It's people like you that give me the motivation to continue to create these badass podcasts every week. If you'd be awesome and give this cast a five-star rating or a subscription, that would help even more, and you can also share it to your own network as well. So for those who wonder how to share, there are actually a few different ways I have some tips on how to make these things go a little bit better. Uh, First of all, just choose your platform of choice. There's Twitter, now called X for some reason, Uh, Facebook threads, regular Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, Myspace, and I don't know, I'm sure there's a dozen others out there that are used by some people. There's a few ways we can share on those platforms. Uh, If you're using Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, also known as X for some reason, you can just grab the post that I share, that I uploaded, and then share it to your own followers. Just click that share button. Post now does some benefit. But if you add a little bit of a text on what you love about the podcast, what you learned, why people think uh, why you think people should tune in and listen to the sound of my voice, that'll help it go have a little bit more of a reach. Uh, another way to share, and it's probably actually a little bit more impactful is to grab the link to this podcast and then share it in a group that you participate in. For example, if you're on the Facebook, And you follow a group on neurodivergency or autism or raising kids on the spectrum or a parenting group. Or, you know, even if it's just a group of the coolest things you'll ever find online, any of those types of groups. Just grab the link to this podcast, post it there, and share a bit about what you like, uh, what you learned, and why other people should follow. Then that kind of uh, begs the question of what do you get out of this? Well, first of all, you can be, have the joy of being an early adopter. Someday, when this podcast explodes in popularity and has billions upon billions of listens, you can say, psh, I've been following that since the days when he was just getting a couple dozen listeners, listeners each month. And then people will gush over you and think you're about the coolest person in the, in the entire world. You'll also get that feel-good feeling of helping someone out, and if you tag me in the share, I can even give you a shout-out in my next episode. If you're an entrepreneur, or you run a business, or professional some way, I'll promote your wares for you, just because you tagged me in a share, and tagged me while sharing my podcast. Of course, when I say promote your wares, in this sense, it's not the same as a streetwalker might peddle their wares, but instead refers to the products or services you offer. Which if you happen to run a bordello, then I suppose your products and services are the same wares as in the more lascivious or obscene nature mentioned earlier. Moving on. Last week we talked a little bit about autism causes and how to discover if you or a loved one are on the spectrum. I relayed stories on how I made my own self-discovery, and we talked about how autism is not caused by vaccines. I only had one Twitter bot follow up with a barely comprehensible rant on how vaccines do cause autism, and I was almost a little disappointed that my that the anti-sciencers didn't flow from the woodwork and tell me that I'm wrong. There's always next time. I just gotta keep plugging those keywords of vaccine and autism, and eventually people will show their ignorance <coughs> anyway this week we're talking about entrepreneurship and especially the struggles for those who are on the spectrum when it comes to running a business or acting in a professional capacity uh, some of these may apply to you if you're on the spectrum some may not and some may give you some insights on to as to why your business is not going quite the way you had hoped And at least that was the original intent when I was planning this podcast out. Uh, We are going to kind of set the stage this week, and then next week I'll circle back around to the entrepreneurship and leadership type uh, talks. Right now we have to go through why entrepreneurship is actually far better for myself and probably a lot of autistics out there. So a little background on how we got here, how I got here. We'll call this the misadventures of Scott's employment, if you will. I'm going to start out saying that I hate work. I hate working. I hate jobs. I have yet to find a job, job I use here interchangeably with work, career opportunity, or really any synonym thereof. I've yet to find that job that I really enjoy, something that I love jumping out of bed in the morning and getting to work on it, and because it's just fulfilling and uh, motivating and it just provides me a sense of accomplishment for me work has always been something that takes me away from something I would rather be doing and because I'd rather be doing something else thus the work becomes unenjoyable now there are a few things that are less unenjoyable than others. For example, a couple of years ago, I created a program that taught people how they can tap into their skills that they already have and turn them into money makers. Designing it and creating it actually wasn't that bad, it was, I can actually say I was a little bit excited to work on it each day because I knew that it was going to be phenomenal and a success and people were going to benefit gratefully from it and I would end up making money until it came time to sell it and actually turn it into a money maker because then I started pouring even more time and money into it and it became just tedious because I thought I would be rewarded for the effort and the time and the the skills and everything that I dumped into it and alas, it wasn't. I was not rewarded at all. I made literally nothing from that venture. Another sort of work-related activity is this podcast. Uh, It's uh, different than my day-to-day operations, but it is kind of plugged in. And if I was actually able to make money from the podcast, then I certainly would pour more time into it, more effort, more energy, and turn it into a business. But as I mentioned earlier, with a couple dozen listeners, it's really more of a hobby than a job. I'll keep doing it as long as I keep getting those couple dozen listeners, though. Ideally, I'd like more, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. All right, so we'll keep these things in mind. Think about that while I go through these misadventures of employment. So we're going to start with, we're going to talk about why being employed is a, such a struggle for the majority of those on the spectrum. Uh, it's estimated somewhere around like 80% are unemployed or underemployed, uh, Uh, People on the spectrum. It's mostly because a large number of work environments are just not suitable towards the way we think. Anyway, so we'll skip over some of the part-time gigs I had when I was younger. Uh, They really don't play much into this. Uh, Just kind of set the stage. Uh, When I was 14, maybe 15, I had a job where I collected pine cones. It wasn't bad. It was, you know, I made halfway decent money and spent the majority of my time in the... <clears throat> in the woods. Uh, I worked at Mission Ridge and St. John's, retirement home and nursing home, in the food service department. When I was in college, I worked for Planet Smoothie, later rebranded to Funky Monkey Juice and Java. Uh, while I was in college in Bozeman, I worked for University Catering. They were all fine part time jobs, they provided a little bit of an income, but they weren't really anything more than a means to an end end was to pay the handful of bills that I had as a teenager or in my early 20s, mostly gas money and a cell phone bill. Uh, after I graduated from college, I had a gap year. I took a year off before heading to grad school, and during that time, I worked at Walmart for just a little while. Walmart scheduled me for 39 hours per week, which, by the time I got everything done and whatever, I... Uh, It ended up being about 41 or 42, so I always had a little bit of overtime. But because I was only scheduled at 39, they could call me part-time and not offer me any benefits that they would offer to the full-time worker. I lasted about six weeks there because it was absolutely terrible. Uh, I worked at Funky Monkey for a little bit. Uh, and part-time at the Yellowstone Boys and Girls Ranch, went back to Funky Monkey, did, like, I opened the coffee shop for them, and then went to work at Boys and Girls Ranch. But, I was only part-time at both of those jobs. Uh, Funky Monkey was a small, locally-owned business, there just wasn't a way for them to afford a full-time person and pay benefits, I can't really blame them for that, mostly just a coffee shop and a smoothie shop. Boys and Girls Ranch, however, was part-time because, again, they could work me 39 hours a week and not have to worry about paying benefits. Diving a little deeper into that, I see that uh, my first two full-time jobs were labeled part-time partly because of cheap employers, but really I think it was a little bit deeper than that. Uh, Back then, it was my early 20s, and I really had no idea how to stand up for myself I had no idea how to fight for what I'm worth, and large a large part was I couldn't really push back because if I didn't get the job, it was such a struggle to even get an interview, I had to take what was offered. So I didn't want to rock the boat and say, 39 hours a week is a bit of bull honky. You're just doing this to avoid paying me benefits. Just put me as full-time. Because if I said something like that, I'd be shown the door, I wouldn't be offered the job, and then I'd just be stuck living in my dad's basement for the rest of my life. Now, later in life, I also have learned that job interviews are largely rubbish. The point of a job interview is to meet a prospect and see if they're qualified to perform the duties of the position, right? That's what that's what you'd think it makes very good logical sense that you're trying to find somebody that's well-qualified for the position and can do the job appropriately really job interviews don't really have anything to do with that a job interview is by nature anti autism Uh, anybody on the spectrum can relate to this they can understand that if you go to a job interview it is designed to be against our personality types the interviewer, in my experience, couldn't give two shits about my qualifications. They want to determine if I smile enough, if I make enough eye contact, if I laugh at their terrible jokes, and overall how outgoing and personable I am. It doesn't matter if the job is for something as unpersonable and behind the scenes as data entry into a computer system. The in the interview that doesn't really matter. It's all about being outgoing. Smiling, kissing ass, and seeing how much of a normie or how well you can play the part of a normie. So, pro tip for anyone that's looking for a job: uh, when the interviewer or when the interviewer is wrapping up and he asks, "Hey, do you have any questions for me? Do you have any questions for for about the company?" I always thought it was kind of a good idea to pander to them and say, "Oh no, you covered everything very well." Now, long after I've, I'm done interviewing for positions, something that I will never do again, I learned I should be asking about future, the future of the company, the company culture, team aspects, growth plans, and all of that other BS that I really didn't care about. I just needed a job, so pay me to work here. Terrible interview practices aside, the first two full-time jobs weren't full-time because it's apparently evident in my interview that I was easy to walk all over. The Walmart job, however, uh, ended. I ended that one voluntarily because there are a lot of corporate rules that they have designed to be rules for rules sake. There's really very little importance behind them and they're really just put in place as a way to control the worker bees. Now myself and i know a lot of people on the spectrum struggle to follow rules that don't have any bearing on life so uh, it's better to have we can justify rules we understand them and it's very easy to follow them if they have something behind them for instance no running next to the pool because the water slips out It spills out. You might slip and hurt yourself, and we don't want that to happen. So please walk for everyone's safety. Good rule has a meaning behind it, has a purpose, and intent. I was, let's say, stifled at Walmart because you had to follow the rules because they're the rules, and we demand obedience from you. So anyways, after grad school, I didn't... Finish, I was there for a short time, determined it wasn't for me. Came back to Billings, and, of course, I needed a job once I returned to town. I went back to the Boys and Girls Ranch, different position, and I actually did get full-time status there. Lasted about two years. Uh, That full-time status, that job, didn't really start out really that well. Uh, Because, again, I was desperate for a job. I applied to... Just shy of 489,000 different places, I landed maybe three or four interviews, and this one was the only one that offered a position. And that position ended up being 11 p.m. to 9 a.m. three days a week, and then 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. on the fourth day of the week. Now I'm a big fan of the four-day week work week, but I hated those overnights. Of course I and still did not know how to stand up for myself and I was shoved into the terrible position that nobody wanted so every day when I worked there I would leave off I'd quit have to quit doing things that I actually wanted to do and go work in a job that paid too little had a bunch of rules that I had to follow that didn't make a lot of sense and overall, not enjoy my time. Now looking back, I did learn a whole lot uh, from this job. Uh, I, I wish I would have recognized some of this while I was there. I recognized later that the leadership was just bad. It was a great example of how not to lead a team. And it was all the way from the top leading the management, the management leading the supervisors, the supervisors leading the team they were all just rubbish. In my early 20s, I didn't know anything about leadership, so I just plugged away at this job, getting excited for my 25-cent raise every year. Now, a few things uh, about this job, they do stand out as anti-autistic. You'd think a treatment center that deals with kids that many of whom are on the spectrum would do better at this. One instance that... Uh, I believe I talked about it a while ago in one of my podcasts, was during the winter, I led a small group of boys across the street to the nurse's office. It's a great way to get out of the lodge, you go for a little walk. Generally, the kids that can be trusted with one staff, you know, there's like four or five of them, not many, they're the more well-behaved, they know what's going on, they're easy to manage, and for the most part, they were. some of them were really fun to hang out with. So as we're walking back uh from the nurse's office we walked past the duck pond the duck pond was now frozen over and completely covered with ice except for the very center because i think there was a small fountain out there anyway teenage boys wanted to go slippity sliding on the ice as we walked back and asked politely you know can we slide on the ice and so i go over there and i stomped on it noticed the ice was four or five inches thick plenty thick enough to slide on and so i said you know, go for it. Just stay near the edge. You can see there's open water in the middle. It gets thinner as you go out. Don't go more than like 10 feet off the shore. These kids loved it. It was like the best thing, time, best time of their month, maybe even longer. It was like, you know, five minutes of just sliding on the ice and being boys. Now, of course, somebody looked out the window and they saw us. Uh, they turned me in. And the next week at our staff meeting, lodge leader brought it up without using my name and said somebody from fortin was letting the boys slide on the ice at the duck pond and she says i wondered to myself who could be so stupid as to do that there's nothing like uh, strong leadership by shaming your staff so this kind of just made me mad so i shot my hand up and I was like yeah that was me it wasn't stupid I tested the ice I've walked on ice a lot I've fallen through ice this ice was like four or five inches thick it's plenty fine to slide on I trusted that they wouldn't go towards the middle and they didn't somehow I had the guts to stand up for myself that time really didn't do me any good it was I still reprimanded and rules are rules to obey no matter what So eventually I left the ranch. I worked as a financial advisor for about nine months. That job wasn't too bad, and I was sort of self-employed, so there wasn't quite as many hard and fast rules. I didn't have to clock in at 8 o'clock and be done at 5 o'clock. It wasn't, you're late, now you're being penalized, whatever. However, as a sales job, things went downhill rather quickly. I struggled to get people to meet with me, and then I struggled to get them on board with what I was offering to them. And I still, I've analyzed this in my mind over and over. And I don't know what to do differently. Because what the way it worked was they'd grant me a meeting. We'd sit down and talk about their goals and dreams and when they wanted to retire and what they had in place and all that fun stuff. And I'd say, okay, you're here. You want to get here. And so to get you there, we need to do this, 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 this. It's a whole bunch of work, but let's just start with, some life insurance, you know, let's make sure if you died, your family is taken care of, it's going to cost you like 15 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, and they'd him and Han put up some excuses, and they couldn't afford it or whatever, and now, I couldn't figure out why they're throwing these excuses out there, because they wanted to do this, but they wouldn't do it, so anyway, eventually, the pipeline dried up, I couldn't, um, you know, keep going in a job where I wasn't making any sales so I went from there and I worked for a financial advisor much better work as I would uh, analyze portfolios come up with solutions and I'd sit in the back room didn't have to deal with the clients or doing do any of the sales but now I'm back employed for somebody else which is a bit of a downside now I'm required to be there from nine to five every day Except that a 9-to-5 job isn't actually 9-to-5. It's 8-to-5. So, in the wintertime, that means you go to work in the dark, and you go home in the dark. Kind of got a little depressing there for a bit. Second issue was I was just that lowly backroom person. Uh, The salespeople, client-facing people, they get all the praise in our society and culture. If you're an extrovert, you have an automatic leg up on everyone. Even if you're dumb as a brick... If you're outgoing, you're just automatically considered better than the introverts. Working with high net worth clients, I was just the dude in the back room. Many of them were fine, most of them were fine, actually, but some of them were just condescending AF. For instance, the, there was one time I was putting together this plan for a guy. He was a co owner of a local business. He was outgoing, he was driven most people would say he's successful made a lot of money and so there's a point in putting these plans together that if you sell off your company how much should we put for you know the money that comes in because we need to put that as part of your retirement planning so I said what do you value your share of the company at so if you sold it today what do you think you could get for it It, it's a straightforward answer hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand million bucks whatever That's all I needed was just flat out a number. He put his pen down, leaned back in his chair, and started explaining to me how business ownership works, how many shares there are, what the shares are worth, there's no guarantees, blah, blah, blah. I can't tell you a number because it could be worth different tomorrow. We could go under completely, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, I just need a number so the system will let me move past here. Uh, Third aspect that working for somebody else really isn't great, is there just was no room for growth. I started at about eleven bucks an hour, and after a year I was still at like eleven dollars an hour. I might have gotten like a twenty five cent raise. And so I asked, you know, eleven bucks an hour really isn't very motivating, so, you know, what can we do here? Boss hemmed and hawed about how I need to earn it and I don't get a raise just because I put in a year and something something and I was like okay went back to my desk another year went by I mentioned that you know I've only had 25 cent raise in two years and so then he finally said well what have you done to earn a raise so I made a little spreadsheet on the left hand side here's what I was doing when I was first hired and here's what I'm doing now it's like three times as much work and he looks at it and he's like well yes you're doing more work but are you doing better work just a. Uh, garbage excuse to not pay more. Uh that leads me into uh, the fourth reason this was not great and I hated it and I still hate it and I think it's garbage for most jobs is the ones that are time based. Meaning you get paid to be in your seat for 40 hours a week. Do a little bit extra? Nope, still get paid for those 40 hours. Slack off, but you're in your seat for 40 hours? Great. You get paid for those 40 hours. Kick ass and get all your work done in 20 hours? Well, you're only getting paid for 20 hours. Much better is a merit-based system. Works wonderfully for most jobs. Not all of them, but most of them. Many of them. Some of them. Alright, there's a bunch more. We're ready way longer in this episode than most episodes. So I'm going to keep moving to entrepreneurship and running my own business. Or at least, you know, we'll finish setting the stage and get into that next week. So, because I live in America, the land of the free if you have money, having a child was expensive. Jessica has pretty good health benefits through her work, and when I was working for the financial advisor, I would receive $100 a month that I could use to buy my own health insurance. Which basically meant I was paid... I was, they could say they provided health benefits, but they provided a third or a quarter of what health benefits actually cost. So uh, Holden was born, and that started the joy of crappy parental leave. Uh, The US allows something like six weeks or eight weeks uh, that you can't get fired because you want to be, you know, take care of your kid when they're first born. And technically, I could take all that time off and I'd come back and I'd have a job. But I wouldn't get paid for any of that. Jessica got a few weeks off, used up all her sick time, all her PTO, and then had to go without pay for a few more weeks until you know we're looking at the bank account just go down and down and down and then down some more because we also had tons of hospital bills on top of all this. So all in all, if you want to have a kid in the U.S., you either need really sweet benefits, have a bunch of money, or just be ready to be poor for quite a while. So, when Jessica did go back to work, I, we looked over our paychecks. She was making more than I was. And my pay was actually so low that it really didn't make sense for me to go back to work. After childcare, paying for childcare and everything else, I would end up working for something like three, 400 bucks a month, also somebody else could raise our child. So that gave me the uh, motivation, the little bump that I needed to transition to running my own job. Now, right before this, about a year or two before all this happened, I had been dabbling freelancing. I had a couple steady writing clients already, but there's room for so much more. And then I realized that uh, infants at least, sleep a whole lot, and there's evenings and weekends. It's not going to be the ideal situation, but the bulk of my time would be spent playing with a baby all day long. And that sounded really fun. That sounded great. Much better than working. So I became an entrepreneur whose main job was to play with a baby all day long. And it was awesome. Not working is so much better than working. And since I was part-time entrepreneur, things weren't yet that stressful and they weren't incredibly difficult. Sure, sort of deadlines, sir, meant, you know, typing out some blogs at 10 p.m., but it wasn't that bad. A lot more stress comes later when you actually try to grow the business or you're actually trying to make a profit and you end up losing a bunch of money, whatever. We'll get into some of that later. But for now we gotta talk about we gotta wrap things up that Being employed by someone else is often not the best situation for those on the spectrum. And many of us can and are and would be much better suited to be entrepreneurs. So we'll look at what it takes next week. For now, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right. And if it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, like, comment, subscribe. Please join the Facebook community and feel free to ask any questions you have over there. You can even post anonymously. So if you don't want to uh, feel weird about asking a weird question, just do that, do it that route. Remember, job interviews are by nature legally discriminatory against those on the spectrum. So it's an uphill battle if you are on the spectrum and decide to go that route. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, whether they are left or normies, or right.